Well, good morning. Go ahead and turn, please, in your Bibles to Luke chapter 9. Today we're going to be looking at verses 27 through 36. As you're turning there, I want to share with you a story. Uh, 18 years ago, Easter morning, 18 years ago, I was serving uh, as a pastoral intern at a church in southern uh, Washington state. And we were uh, uh, always excited to attend services on Easter Sunday. I love Easter, uh, the joy of just uh, rejoicing together and articulating together the hope that we have in Christ and his resurrection. And so that morning, uh, it was just Shauna and I at the time, and we went to the service, to the church, and there was a lady there who's handing out uh, things, just saying happy resurrection uh, day. And so she handed my wife, she's giving me permission to share this, by the way. Um, my lovely wife uh, takes this from the woman, she says happy resurrection day, and pops it in her mouth, and um, discovered that it wasn't, it had little to do with happy Easter baskets and more to do with the empty tomb. It was a rock. And so... <laughs> She immediately took it out of her mouth, and we have every year rejoiced in that (laughs) together. So let's hope that what I share with you this morning is a little more pleasant than that. Let me read as you stand with me, Luke chapter 9, beginning with verse 27. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. And as he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. Let's pray. Our Father, we are so, so grateful. This morning we are so grateful for Jesus risen from the dead conqueror of sin and conqueror of death and it is a joy Lord it's a joy that we can come together and lift our voices and our hearts as one voice to you Lord worshiping you for who you are and all that you have done Lord and we know that this is happening in in many other places as well Lord we pray that you would be glorified 
glorified in this place, glorified in the churches surrounding us. In Berlin Presbyterian, as, as Pastor Rick preaches the word, and in Life Point, as Pastor Dean preaches the word, and Lord, at North Point Baptist, and Sanctuary Church, and Veritas Church, and Grace Polaris, and, and so many places that are gathering to honor and glorify you. Be exalted, Lord, we pray. Be exalted. Father, I love this text. I love that you have given this to us to show us how glorious you are. And I pray that you would help us, that you would be exalted in our hearts, that your word would be made clear this morning, that you would be lifted up, Lord, and that we would respond rightly to you. We pray in Christ's name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Verse 21, Jesus is still talking with the disciples. You may be looking at your Bible as we're reading and thinking, why are we starting here? Doesn't he know, doesn't he see that the the breaks in the Bible work nicely? They're separated in nice paragraphs. Why are we crossing borders into another part? Well, just as a reminder, those little subheadings there are added, okay? The take up your cross and follow Jesus, the transfiguration. Those lines are not God's word. They're just helpful to kind of separate for us as we read. And so we begin this morning with verse 27 because verse 27 is really a bridge, Between these two sections, in this verse, Jesus tells the disciples, those he's speaking with, that some of them will not die. They won't taste death. They won't die until after they have seen the kingdom of God. And what we find is the some that he is talking about are Peter and James and John. And the seeing that he's talking about is what takes place in verses 28 through 36. And it's a good reminder for us. As we see in verse 27, I tell you truly, this is Jesus talking. There are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. It's a good reminder for us as we've gone through this gospel account from Luke. That although Jesus is preaching the kingdom of God. and He's bringing the kingdom of God as he heals, casts out demons, performs many miracles. He does not mean in his teaching and proclamation that the kingdom has fully come. Jesus coming to earth is the inauguration of his kingdom. It will come fully when he returns in glory. And so he's bringing the kingdom in the sense that he's demonstrating to the people what the kingdom of God is like and what it will be like. There's no leprosy in the kingdom of God. There's no demon possession in the kingdom of God. There's no death in the kingdom of God. There's no storms in the kingdom of God. There's no sin in the kingdom of God. And so Jesus has come demonstrating and inaugurating that kingdom Verse 28, Luke goes on, now about eight days after these sayings, so he's connecting with what just took place. He took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. Luke mentions again that Jesus went up to pray, and this is purposeful. This is purposeful. Jesus has just 
told the disciples that some of them would not die before they see the kingdom of God. And then he goes up on the mountain, he begins to pray. He knows what's going to happen. He knows he's going to reveal his glory to these three that he takes with him. He's very purposeful as he goes up the mountain. And he's praying. Verse 29. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered. And his clothing became dazzling white. Just wonderful. Peter, James, John on the mountain with Jesus. And it says as Jesus is praying, he is transfigured before him into a glorious radiance. This is not like, if you remember in Exodus chapter 34, verses 29 through 35, you remember Moses went up on the mountain to meet with God? And he's with God on the mountain. God's giving him the commands. Remember what it says as he comes down from the mountain? He would have to cover his face after that, remember? Because when he would come down from the mountain, it said his face shone because he had been in the presence of God. It was glowing from being in the presence of God. This is not like that. Moses coming down from the mountain is reflecting the glory of another. Jesus on the mountain is radiating with his own glory. This is a glory that comes from within Jesus, the Son of God. He is transfigured before them. In fact, we see in the text that it's his body that is is transfigured before it says his clothing is glowing. This is a glory that comes from the person of Jesus. He is transfigured. He is glorified in their presence. It says that his clothing became dazzling white. That expression literally translates as bright as a flash of lightning. His clothing became as bright as a flash of lightning. Can can you even comprehend No, we cannot. We cannot even imagine. We can't even fathom how great is this one that we worship. Jesus of Nazareth who who is glorious in all of his ways. We can't even comprehend what's taking place on this mountain. As he is gloriously displayed before his disciples and his clothing Glowing, shining, as bright as lightning. How terrifying that would be. It says in verse 30, Behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah. As they're there and he's glorified, Moses and Elijah appear. They're with him and they're talking. Moses and Elijah represent the law and the prophets. And as they appear, this refutes all of the things that have been said up to this point. Remember the question that's been asked? Who is this man? And the answers that have been carelessly given. Well, some are saying that it's John the Baptist raised from the dead. And some are saying it's Elijah. Or some are saying it's a great prophet who's come back. And as they're on the mountain with Jesus, they realize, they see that this is not like them. It indicates that This man, Jesus, is the fulfillment of all the law and the prophets. 
He's far greater than these two men, Moses and Elijah. And it says in verse 31, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. These two men, Moses and Elijah, they appear with him and they spoke of his departure which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. Now they are displayed in glorious splendor next to Jesus and they spoke with him. They talked together with Jesus and what they talked about, it says, was his departure. They're speaking about his death and resurrection and ascension into heaven. And what's amazing about this is that word that we get departure from is the word exodus, So what it says is, as we read it in context, is that Moses and Elijah appeared there with him in glory and they were speaking about his exodus, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. Moses, who is speaking with him, didn't accomplish his exodus. Someone greater needed to come to do that. Moses led the people out of Egypt, but he did not lead them. He could not lead them into the promised land. Now, you may hear that and say, well, that's pretty good. (laughs) It's not that bad, right? He got them out of slavery. That's pretty good, right? But would it be good news to you you if you discovered this morning Jesus, the one who comes after Moses, he freed you from slavery, but he cannot take you all the way home. He will not get you to heaven. That's not good news. Someone greater than Moses needed to come, and it is Jesus who will free us. He will accomplish his exodus through his death and resurrection. He's inaugurating his kingdom, the true promised land, and leading a people out of the kingdom of darkness and leading them all the way home. He will accomplish, he will accomplish his exodus. This kingdom, this kingdom of Christ is realized through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Verse 32 goes on. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. You can imagine as they're traveling up the mountain, going up the mountain, they're tired, they're exhausted, and they're sleepy, heavy, it says, with sleep. But I think we can also imagine that at the circumstances surrounding them, they become fully awake, And that is good news for us. This is not a vision. They are fully awake. This is really happening in front of their eyes. In fact, Peter later on when he writes his second letter, 2 Peter chapter 1, he refers to this. And there is no hint or suggestion that this is nothing but reality taking place before them. In 2 Peter chapter 1 beginning with verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. 
For when he received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven for we were with him on the holy mountain. This is reality. This is really happening before their eyes. In verse 33 as the men were parting from them, as Moses and Elijah were parting from them, or from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. Now, there's error in what Peter is assuming and saying here. The word for tent there is tabernacle. What Peter is saying is, Lord, it's good that we're here. Let us build three tabernacles, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. Peter's error here is that he's equating Jesus with Moses and Elijah. He's made this great proclamation in Luke 9, 20. Jesus asked, well, who, do you, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God but he still doesn't understand the significance of who Jesus is fully. They're not equals. Jesus is greater than Moses. He will bring his people all the way to the promised land. Jesus is greater than Elijah and all the prophets. They were God's servants who foretold of the Christ who was to come. They spoke of him. They pointed to him. Jesus is God's son, the chosen one, God in human flesh. And he's not only greater than them, he's other than them. He is holy. He's set apart. He's righteous, glorious. And so the answer to Peter's question is, no, Peter, we don't need three tabernacles. We have one. It is the Lord, Jesus. He is on the mountain glorified dwelling with man. Verse 34, as he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. As they're talking, still talking, a cloud appears. This, this cloud is a symbol of God's presence and glory. Remember back through the Old Testament, this is the cloud that covered the mountain as Moses went before God. It filled the tabernacle. It filled the temple. Isaiah, remember, saw the Lord in Isaiah 6 and he saw smoke that filled the temple. The cloud is significant as the cloud covers them on the mountain. It is God's glory. It is God himself, his presence there with them on the mountain. It says that cloud overshadowed them. And they were afraid as they entered the cloud. It seems like those are words we wouldn't need, right? And yet we do. How often, how often do we think so little of the glory of God and his presence? We speak so casually of his glory. And yet this is 
the right response, that we see the appropriate response that we see from these disciples. They were afraid. You think of Isaiah in Isaiah 6 when he saw the Lord and he sees his glory displayed before him and he cries out, woe is me for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. They were afraid. God is holy and we are sinful and it's only by his grace that we can come into his presence. And that would not be possible apart from a mediator working on our behalf and Jesus, the mediator, is there with them on the mountain. Verse 35, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. This is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. If, if everything leading up to this wasn't enough, a voice speaks to them from the cloud. Here they've gone up the mountain with Jesus. He has been transfigured, glorified in their presence transformed before them. They see Moses and Elijah speaking with Jesus about his exodus that he's going to accomplish in Jerusalem. This cloud representing God's presence and glory comes down and overshadows them. And if that wasn't enough, God the Father speaks to them. These men who have walked with Jesus now for two and a half years speaks To them from the cloud. My son is not like Elijah. He's not like Moses. He's like no other. This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. Listen to him. Months later, after Jesus has been raised from the dead, he's with two disciples on the road to Emmaus and in Luke. 24, 27, he says this, or it says this, beginning with Moses and the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. He interpreted to them throughout all of the Old Testament the things that spoke of him. In other words, he showed them how the law and the prophets all pointed to him, all spoke of him. God the Father here on the mountain is saying, it's all about my son. Listen to my son. Listen to him. In verse 36, and when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. Jesus was found alone. The focus is not on Moses. The focus is not on Elijah in the text. It's not on these three apostles. The focus is on Jesus. He stands alone. The law and the prophets all pointed to Jesus. And anything that detracts from Jesus misses the mark. Acts 4, verse 12, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. This is my son, God the Father says. And they kept silent. 
and told no one, Luke says, in those days. Mark 9, 9 tells us that Jesus told them not to tell anyone until after he had risen from the dead. That's what the in those days that Luke puts there means. At that point, after Jesus has been raised from the dead, they tell everyone. They give their lives. They lay down their lives to tell people about this glorious Savior, Jesus Christ, who stands alone. As we consider Jesus this Easter morning, I want to ask you, where does he stand in your heart? We see from the text, we see from all of Scripture, Jesus stands alone. He is glorious. He is set apart. He is holy He is deserving of all of our praise. Where does he stand in your heart? Jesus stands alone as we see as greater than the law and the prophets. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than Elijah. He will accomplish this exodus he has come to do. He's going to lead his people out by his death and by his resurrection. And he's going to lead them into the promised land. He's greater than Elijah and all of the prophets. These ones that spoke of him and wrote of him foretold of the Christ. He has come. He is God's son, God in human flesh. Holy and righteous. He stands alone as greater than the law and the prophets. And he stands alone as the resurrected savior of the world. This transfiguration in Luke 9 on the mountain is a glimpse of the future glory of the risen Lord. It's what we celebrate today. Jesus is alive. A few verses earlier in Luke 9.22, Jesus says, gives the first announcement of his coming death. But that announcement does not end at the grave. The Son of Man, it says, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. It doesn't end at the grave. It's a promise of resurrection. And so the discussion on the mountain concerning Jesus' exodus is accompanied by a glimpse of the glory awaiting him as the resurrected Savior. In Luke 24, 26, Jesus says, Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter his glory? Hebrews 2, verse 9, But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, He might taste death for everyone. And Peter writing in 1 Peter 1 verses 18 through 21, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Jesus stands alone. He stands alone as far greater than all the law and the prophets. He is the resurrected Savior, and he stands alone as the coming King. 
These three, Peter and James and John, beheld his glory on the mountain, the glory of the one who will come again. We read the words in Luke 9 and we can't comprehend. We can't even begin to fathom or imagine the glory, the brightness of his glory that they beheld on the mountain. And yet, one day, that same glory will rip the skies open as he comes to rescue and to finish this exodus, to accomplish this exodus, as he brings us all the way home. He stands alone as the coming king. And so I ask you, where does he stand in your heart? How should we respond to such glory? How should we respond to this kind of a king? I would encourage you with two things simply. First is this, listen to him. Listen to him. That's what God the Father said to these three on the mountain. This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. Certainly, as God the Father is speaking to these three, there is a message that is crystal clear. These three coming down from the mountain must have been forever changed with this memory ingrained in them. And certainly this message is crystal clear. Do not mingle any good word with my son. Don't let anything detract from Jesus standing alone. Listen to him. And how do we listen to him? How do we do that? How do we listen to his son? We listen through his word. When Peter recounts this story in 2 Peter chapter 1. We read the first verses of it. After giving the details of his experience on the mountain, he says something fascinating. Beginning again with verse 16 in 2 Peter 1, for we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. So he, he reminds, he recounts what happened on the mountain. And we look at that and we're like, but we don't get that. I don't get to be on the mountain and see him glorified and set apart. I didn't get the cloud and I didn't get the voice. What does Peter say after recounting to us what happened on the mountain? He says, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit." 
He gives us this account and we look at it and we're like, but I don't get that. And so, yes, God the Father spoke to the, to the disciples on the mountain and says, listen to him, but I don't get what they got. And Peter says, oh, no, yes, you do. You have something more sure. You have the prophetic word, the scriptures more fully confirmed, which you will do well to pay attention to. He's saying exactly what God the Father said to them on the mountain. Listen to the Son. You will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. You know what I get from that? There will never ever be one day from here until I see him face to face that I will not need the prophetic word more fully confirmed planted into my heart again and again and again as into a dark place until the morning star rises in my heart. Until I see him face to face, the day dawns. I need his word. We need his word. Listen to him, the Father says. Jesus says in Luke 6, 46, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? His point is this, I'm not really your Lord if you ignore my word. And so let us be a people by the grace of God who listen to God's son. And then secondly, let us be a people who follow him. Listen to him and follow him. Jesus stands alone as the aim of single-minded, unyielding devotion. Devotion. We're called to follow him and that is the only thing that makes sense. It's the only thing that makes sense. What has Jesus just said to his disciples before going up on the mountain? If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world? And loses or forfeits himself. For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. If Jesus has been raised from the dead, if he came back to life just as scripture said that he would, then the only thing that makes sense is for you and for me to deny ourselves to take up our cross today and every day and to follow him. That's the only thing that makes sense. If he conquered the grave, if he was raised from the dead, nothing, nothing else makes sense. The only thing that makes sense is devotion to him, to glorify this risen and holy saving king. That's what makes sense. What doesn't make sense is to look at the cross and then to look at the empty tomb and then live for myself. That doesn't make sense. And so I want to appeal to you this morning, if you are not following him, would you believe today? Would you deny yourself today and would you take up your cross today to follow this risen king. 
This king who's come and laid down his life for your sins and conquered death by being raised. This resurrection that we celebrate this morning is everything. If Christ has not been raised, then life is meaningless. Paul talks about that in in 1 Corinthians 15. Because we won't be raised either. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 32, if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Just, Just party it up if Jesus is still dead. But he says Christ has been raised from the dead as the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. In other words, Christ was raised as a proof, a proof that God accepted his sacrifice, that God looked upon the sacrifice of Jesus who died on the cross and our sins placed on him. He looked at that sacrifice and said, yes, I accept. It is enough What you have accomplished is enough to forgive, to appease my wrath for those who trust. So it's proof that God accepted his sacrifices. Whoever whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And what is believing? Believing is what Jesus said believing is. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So he was raised as proof, but he was raised as a promise. He was raised as a promise, the first fruits, Paul said. A promise that those who believe will also be raised like him, raised with him, raised to be with him forever. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. It's a promise. Would you give your life to him today? Repent of your sins and believe in him and you will be saved, the scripture says. If that is you today, I would encourage you to talk to someone. Tell someone. Tell me. I would love to. I know there are others here who would love to help you learn what it means to be a follower of Jesus. But for those of you who are in Christ, I want to appeal to you as well. Does your life reflect a belief that Jesus is alive? Are you living in light of the resurrection, do your decisions and your words bear witness that he is alive? That he died for your sins and he conquered the grave and you now live in him. Does your life bear witness to that? One of the ways that we remember and we celebrate his death and resurrection is by taking the Lord's Supper each week. The bread and the cup. And in Luke 24, Jesus has walked this road to Emmaus with these two disciples. It says in verse 30, when he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. 
They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. They told how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Would that that would be true of us today. If you know the Lord this morning, as you hold the bread and the cup, remember him. Remember his body that was broken and his blood that was poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. Remember that he died and he was raised. He now lives and we fellowship with him in the uh, taking of the bread and the cup. And we say this often here, but as you see the bread and the cup coming, if you're not saved, if you don't know Christ, if you don't delight in his death and resurrection, then let me encourage you, just let the bread and the cup, the elements go by. Our prayer for you is that you would be saved, that you would partake of Jesus, the one that we celebrate, the one we worship and honor this morning. Repent and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he died and that he was raised. And surrender your life to him today and you will receive eternal life. He will save you.